When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Dad Vengers podcast, sponsored by Connects, encouraging kids of all ages to think outside the blocks. Now, more and more dads want to be involved in their children's development, but sometimes it can be hard to find guidance and support. Being a hands-on dad myself, I want to help create an aspirational image of fatherhood that we can all strive for through the variety of guests that we have on the show and their journey through parenthood. So let's talk, let's laugh, and let's share the things we find difficult and become the type of dads we really want to be. Today's guest describes himself as an entrepreneur, a TV presenter, and one of the world's most influential matchmakers. Not only has he written books about how to find the one, but he also runs his very own dating agency. He is the co-host of Channel 4's Celebs Go Dating, is known as the real life modern day hitch, and is our first overseas dad venger. It is Paul Brunson. Well, so I, I didn't realize I'm the first. I'm the first overseas. You're the first from overseas. Wow. We've had we've had the UK crew, but now we're we're branching out. All right. And you're leading the way. Look at that. You're international. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. I, I feel uh, you know, you know, I, I always say that I like to be between blessed and stressed, you know, and 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 that's exactly how I feel right now. I feel good. That's good. That's good. Now, for those who don't know, where are you calling in from today? I am in Washington, D.C. Uh, a matter of fact, I like to brag about this, is we live, on, well, now I can brag. I couldn't brag about this uh, about two months ago, but we live on the same block as the White House. So this, this street right behind me, if you just go down uh, a little bit, you'd, you'd run right into the front door of the White House. Uh, and uh, and I'm, I'm very joyous of the new resident in the White House now in uh, Mr. Biden. Yeah, definitely, mate. So like if you were on your morning run or something, if you were doing your, you could you could run past the White House there just not not far. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a it's it's a walk, walkable distance. Wow, that's amazing. Living somewhere like that where where it's like a hotbed for life and what's going on must show you so many things. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point is that it really is a uh, it's a true, not, I won't call it a melting or a mixing pot, but it's like, um, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like, it's like a party with everyone at it, you know? Um, and, and to a certain extent, it feels like London. You know, I, I, I truly love living in London and in part is because it feels that way too. There's so many cultures and as a result, you have incredible art, you have incredible, um, you know, you have incredible foods, uh, you know, being a dad, it's a great place to go visit museums and see incredible events. 
Uh, DC feels very much like that, but just smaller than London. So Paul, what are you up to at the moment? A few things, <laughs> a few <laughs> things. Um, I feel like I'm going crazy right now. So I am right now, uh, we got Celebs Go Dating Mansion on air right now, airing in the UK on E4. Whoop, whoop. Simultaneously, we started filming Married at First Sight UK coming to E4 at the end of this year, which I'm super excited about. Nice. Uh, my podcast, Better With Paul, is, is, is crushing the game right now. Uh, but quite honestly, uh, the two biggest projects is I'm a columnist for USA Today, a business columnist. So I spent a lot of oh, time wow. interviewing entrepreneurs. And then I've launched a membership community called Better With Paul Connect. We have 500 entrepreneurs all over the world. The biggest area, the UK. You have two children, yes, two sons, Liam and Kingston, is that right? That's correct, that's correct. How old are they? They are, so Liam is the little one, but he's getting really big, he's seven. And then Kingston is the oldest and he's 10. Wow, and what's the dynamic like between them? Are they best buddies? Are they competitors? What's the deal? All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> All of the above. One second, they're beating each other down. The next second, they're literally, you know, uh, taking a nap together. You know, it's one of those where the dynamic you know, you know, one of the most fascinating things having two children is seeing how you can raise a child and give them the same exact conditions, you know, the same environment, feed them the same food, teach them, instruct them the same way, but yet they're two completely different people. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about, because my two, I've got a boy and a girl. So Rory's 13, uh, Sienna's 11. And yeah, like you said, they're growing up in the same place, uh, eating the same food, hearing the same things from me, but we got two wildly different, <laughs> different children there. Yeah, yeah. I'd say I, I, I and my wife, you know, we, we wanted to have a girl to the point where we, you know, I always push and say, uh, is, uh, is a third possible? Can we do it? Can we do it? And my wife is always saying, nope, I'm sorry. The, uh, she's like, you know, the, the, the shop is closed. The, shop the boat is, has sailed. The boat has sailed. You're not, it's not happening. So, uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll have to live vicariously through you. So did you decide to have kids before or was it a surprise is what I like to call it. Not, <laughs> not an accident, a surprise. Was it all planned? Was it all part of your, your big makeup? Oh yeah. I mean, so I, I'll give you the, the, the backstory, which is not, you know, um, it's interesting. You always hear about childbirth and it's all good and love. Uh, which it was love, but it was also a very challenging time in our lives because, uh, so we tried for eight years. Wow. Unsuccessfully for eight years. And then we went through IVF. So the in vitro fertilization process. Okay. Which that in itself is, oh my God. It's stressful. Stressful. It's incredibly expensive. You know, here in the United States, I'll, at least, it's it's incredibly expensive. Um, it is dangerous, uh, and it doesn't guarantee results. So after going through two or three cycles of it, we finally got pregnant. You know, when we were super happy, uh, and then we had a miscarriage, and that in itself was just traumatic because you have tried for so long and 
IVF is the hope, you know, and then when the hope doesn't work, it's easy to lose all, all, all faith, you know. Um, but so we continue to try, continue to try, and then uh, boom, you know, uh, we got Kingston, and then try it again. Boom, we got Liam, you know. So it's one of these where I think if we tried again, it would work. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, yeah, we went through IVF. Wow, the emotional strain that that must put on both of you as parents especially having to go through so many cycles. I mean, I don't know how long once, it's just as expensive, by the way, in the UK as it is in the States. How long is a cycle? Yeah, so the cycle, it, it ranges in time, uh, but it's anywhere from three to six months on average. Okay, so me doing the math there quickly, you're talking about at least nine months more, more probably that you were literally on a roller coaster of up and down not knowing hope to disappointment hope to disappointment hope to yes we're, we're doing this we're yes. on the way yes did that put a strain on your relationship oh I, so that did not and and, and i say in in you know, it's interesting because people say, oh, Paul, like, you know, Jill, like, you guys don't argue, you know, you went through something like that and it didn't put a strain, like, are you guys human beings? No, we, we are. I think the, 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 the catch to it, and I think this is a big part of what I do on the matchmaking side, is that I truly believe that a lot of couples shouldn't be together in the first place. And that in itself is the issue, right? There is maybe there's lust, but there's nothing else, right? There's no connection values. There's no uh, strong communication. There's the, the vision isn't there. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you have those things intact, then when you go through scenarios that could be considered to be high stress, and they are high stress, they actually bring you together, which is interesting because there's great social psychology around this whole notion of if you want to truly become closer to someone, you should go through novel, intense experiences. And what novel, intense experiences do is it actually drives you closer. There's all types of, you know, oxytocin and other stuff that's firing out of the brain. And it helps couples to actually become more solid, you know? So I think going through that IVF, actually made us stronger as a couple. I was about to say, was that the moment that drove you together more and sort of formed that bond that now can't be broken? Yeah, absolutely. Because, 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 no, because some of the years before that were a little messed up, you know what I mean? It was like, we had, I remember people called the five year itch, the seven year itch. I, it was like right at five years, I was on the couch. I was sleeping on the couch, you know what I mean? And then- yeah got back in the good graces year seven felt like I was back on the couch you know um but then once we got into that eight nine we're trying you know for uh, our first child everything just really cemented and locked in it's a beautiful story and we're gonna we're gonna delve more into it because it's lovely that you're so open about it because I think dad's listening need to hear this kind of thing they don't normally share the stories that you're sharing now because it's always like oh, these stories sound like failure as a man. And fathers don't need to be doing that. They, they need to, to be more open, just like you. So I really appreciate this openness. Where do you think that openness came from? Oh, on, on my part? Yeah. That's a great question, man. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, and I'm guessing is 
I've seen the payoff from vulnerability. You know what I mean? Is that I think that there's this idea that when you're vulnerable, especially as a man, it means you're soft. It means you're weak. It means whatever, right? Um, and that's toxic masculinity. But instead, I believe that when we are vulnerable, that's actually where our power comes from. Because what we're saying is, is that our willingness to be open suggests that nothing can hurt us, right? The fact that, you know, vulnerability is literally taking out your heart, holding it out and saying, okay, I'm going to give you my heart. You could either crush it or you could caress it. That in itself is a very courageous act. And I think that that vulnerability most likely stems from my parents. You know, I think it stems from uh, my, seeing, you know, my wife, you know, and her family. I think it stems also from uh, being in a therapeutic coaching, you know, zone for so long. Uh, also, I, I interview lots of entrepreneurs and I see that the most successful are those who are incredibly vulnerable in what they do. So it's probably like this culmination of all of those things, but that's a great question. I, I don't know exactly where it comes from. I love the way you describe toxic masculinity. It feeds through the whole of manhood and fatherhood and we really need to do more to change that and that's why we're doing things like this and having chats like this do you think the way your parents parented you has made you this open has that got something to do with it what was it like growing up for you that that question was is a really really good question and it's funny because be so you know, it's interesting when I get a question that is, all right, let me even back up. So this is not me ego talking, but I do a lot of interviews, you know what I mean? And it's normally the same questions. And so it's easy to go to a place of, okay, I've had that question before, here's how to answer that. But when it's a new question, like what you just hit me, no one's ever asked me that question. It now is just laying, is yeah, yeah, it's just laying on my head, man. It's just making me really think and I love it. And uh, and now I'll never be able to stop thinking about this question for the next hour. So that's all I'm thinking about. <laughs> to answer this question, but also to go back to that last question, the, this epic question yeah. of where does vulnerability come from? A lot of it does, I think, stem from attachment style, right? So there's this whole theory called attachment theory, which is just basically, hey, we as human beings, the, the, the number one thing we fear is being detached, detached from someone. And when we are infants, the number one fear we have is being detached from the person we love the most. So we perceive love from. So most of the time that's coming from mom, right? And the relationship we have with mom early on becomes our attachment style later in life. And there's different attachments. You know, there's secure, there's unsecure. So basically there's a healthy and there's a unhealthy. Now, I will say that, thank God, my, my mother and my father, they showed me as well as, you know, grandparents, et cetera, incredible, healthy love. And that healthy love is a secure style, which then allows me to feel safe. And therefore it allows me to express myself and be vulnerable. So that's where... I believe it comes from Nigel. So I'm trying to go back to answer that one. You're doing it live here with me. I like it. You're going through it in your head. Yeah, I'm going through it. Exactly, man. And that's that's really where I believe because 
I see as adults, those who don't have these secure styles, it, it, it throws everything off. Like, you know, our mutual friend, Anna Williamson, shout out to Anna. A lot of the work that Anna and I do when we're on TV, we sit down with various folks and we immediately go to, well, tell me about your relationship with your parents, right? Tell me about how they loved you, how you perceived love. Let's talk about that because however that is or whatever that is, that is why and how you show up today, right? So absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm still tripping out on the question, man. I think I, I'm gonna be thinking about this for a while. You've messed my whole day up because now that's all I'm about. <laughs> no, dude, it's, it's, it's all love. And I love, the way you, I love the way you've gone through it in your head. And that just reinforces that openness because you've been wholly open in front of us live on camera there. So that's an absolute pleasure to, to be here and watch and go through. Let's touch back down with the kids again. Okay. Like me, I've seen you posting one or two pictures of your family online. And I saw a pic of Liam reading a book uh, on Insta. I swapped my brother on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> is, he a, is he a big avid reader? Yeah, so one of the things that we, I mean, there's lots of things that I don't think we're doing appropriately, or should I, I should say appropriately, I should say, you know, uh, things that we, we could do better when it comes to homeschooling, because we homeschool our kids. We did this before the pandemic, you know, so we've been homeschooling now for about three years. And there are lots of things we could do better. But one thing I think we've done a great job at is reading and in particular their math skills. So Liam was what we, we would consider to be relative to seeing Kingston and other folks, he was a late reader, right? He started reading behind, you know, et cetera. Um, but this guy just, we just did an assessment. A matter of fact, we were, when we were trying to move to the UK officially, we had to do uh, an assessment to get into a school. We did an assessment he's reading three grade levels above his, his level. Wow. Uh, and, and, uh, and his brother is the same, you know, they're, they're reading three to four ahead. And that's something that we're really, really proud of. They read every day, every single day they read. So you're homeschooling. Do you split that between you and your wife or is it mainly one of you? Or how do you work that with your busy schedule, right? You've got a busy schedule. Your family has a busy schedule. How do you make it work? Yeah, I, I wish I could say we split it, but no, she she's doing 95% of it. I teach history. I was fired as the PE teacher. <laughs> I, I tried to do PE for a while. You got fired in your own house. <laughs> well, I was also fired from being the history teacher, but I won myself back. Oh, nice. You put, you put your case forward and said, look, trial period, please. <laughs> I was like, please, let me back. Come on, we can do this. You know what I mean? And then I also teach life. Subject called life. Uh, you know? Uh, but my wife, she does all the hard stuff. She does like the, uh, I mean, everything. She does the math, the reading, the, sci the science, the arts. Uh, they have music class. Um, she, she does all of those. So homeschooling is going well. What about what they like to do as children? Do they 
like board games? Do they like being out and about running around? Are they computer kids? What's, what's their vibe? Minecraft. <laughs> That's their vibe. They, they would sell a finger if they could just play Minecraft all day long, like that's, that's their vibe. You know, they're, they're different, right? The, the youngest, uh, Liam, he likes more physical, let's go run, let's punch each other, let's box, let's kick things, let's break things, you know, that's more of his vibe. The older is more, let's chill. Okay. Take our shoes off, right? <laughs> let's do the couple yoga poses <laughs> exactly let's feel let's let's see how we feel today first before we even decide maybe we, maybe we're not even going to do anything you know what i mean that's that's the difference that's the difference connecting with your kids is at the heart of what dad Vengers is about which is why we're so happy to have connects as our sponsor Connects and Kid Connects have projects for all the family and they're the perfect activity for kids and adults to connect naturally through play, imagination and creativity. So Paul, I listened to your podcast. Tell us a bit about that. Sure. So it's called Better with Paul. And the whole idea is to interview world-class performers. I call it performers, right? Because it's very entrepreneurial, but at the same time, I may interview a world-class thought leader or a world-class athlete. And also, it's very important that I'm interviewing people from all over the world. So I, I make sure that one-fourth of our guests are coming from the UK, one-fourth are coming from the US, one-fourth are coming from Africa, in particular West Africa, and then one-fourth are coming from the Caribbean, which, you know, is basically Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> There's an episode where you talk about being obsessed with war when you were little yes. or when you were younger, let's say. Was that at the age um, of, say, Kingston or was it a little bit older? Wow. That was, let's see. So it was probably Kingston's age. Because, and I'll tell you what I think drove that is we moved. So I was born in New York. And right around that time, that 10-11, we moved from New York to Virginia and you know you're going through the old boxes and everything and I saw I found uh, these photos of my father in military you know um, you know just like military uniform and I and I didn't even know he was ever in the military and it found out that he was you know he was in the military and that beca it became this obsession where I started to dress up in just like military garb and then I started to understand the different branches of the military. And I want, I told my parents I wanted to go to military school. I joined uh, what's called the Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps that we have, which is like, you know, this cadet crew of young cadets that will then go to the military later. Uh, I would I'd go to summer camps, I go to military summer camps, and we would do all kinds of military things, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was obsessed. It sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, part of the drive for that was maybe the inspiration or the the the, the father figure role that you'd seen and looked up to, your dad in that in that uniform. And you were like, you know what? I I I'm I could be a, a good role model and leader like my dad. Yeah, it 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 was. And on top of it, it was, you know, on top like, you know. We were a black family that had moved from all an all black area 
New York. I only had black friends. I only knew black. I, I thought the world was black. You know what I mean? That's that's all I saw. We moved to Virginia. We were the only black people when we when we got there, and that was a shock. And I that's saw there was a shift, and I saw the challenges that my family and my father had to go through as a result of that. I could see people, their eyes, look at him like, you know, in a demeaning way, you know what I mean? And so to look at these photos of him in this military uniform, you know, commanding respect, uh, you know, I, I like discipline, you know, I was like the only kid that liked discipline, you know what I mean? You know, but those stood out to me. And I think that's really what attracted me to, to the military. If your sons came to you and said, look, dad, I, I, want, I want into, the, into the, the forces, whether that be naval, army, whatever, to actually get called out and, and go and defend, how would, how would you feel as a father? For me, and this is, I think there's a lot of parents that fall into this category of as long as you are passionate and intentional about what you're doing and you are doing something that you could be on the pursuit of becoming world-class at it. And I tell them like literally it could be every day. I tell them do you could do anything like we'll, we'll, we'll watch a movie and there's, you know, that we were watching um, diary of a wimpy kid right, the movie, and the older brother, you know, is supposedly this kind of failure, right, he didn't do well in school, and he's in a band, and the father is really disappointed that this, that the son is this drummer, you know what I mean, and I told my boys, you, if, if you decide to be a drummer, your mother and I are 100% behind you, just become one of the best drummers in the world, right? Just don't like your whole obsession should be becoming world-class because when you become world-class at something, you will make more impact. You will have more autonomy over your time and you'll have more wealth. And my two boys are always, they're wealth obsessed. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that, that made them think, but you will get autonomy, impact, and wealth only through becoming world-class at something. And so if they wanted to join the military, do it, but, but become world-class, become a world-class soldier. Absolutely, they'd have my support. There's two things that you just came up with that I need to go back into. One of them is that you said your children were wealth obsessed. Do yes. you think that is because they see you, and you're a successful man, very successful man, who has uh, carved that success for yourself. Do you think they see that and that is why they're wealth obsessed because they're like, daddy works so hard and we want to be like, daddy, we want to work hard and then we're going to make even more money than daddy and then we're going to say, daddy, you live in the little house out the back because we got a big house out the front. <laughs> That's so, you're already in their mind because they've actually told me that. <laughs> they've literally told me that exact, and they called it the little house. Um, now, that being said, I think what drives their wealth obsession is my wife and I have been very open with them about money, literally. So for example, if I'm doing a TV show in the UK, I, they know exactly how much I make. Wow. To the penny, they know how much I make. They know how much is spent on housing. They know how much 
tickets cost. They know how much, you know, I, all of that, I'm, I open to them because I remember growing up, one of the biggest moments of my childhood between myself and my father was when my father showed me his paycheck. I'll never forget it. It was when I was older. I was in high school. Yeah. But he showed me his paycheck and it changed my life because I understood so many things. I understood why he told us to save, right? I understood how much he was spending to support us as a family. I understood how much taxes were taken out. I understood how much was going to retirement. Like it, it just opened up this world to me. And I then became interested in, in, in finance. With my boys, we're just doing that younger. So they know, okay, this is how much dad makes. This is how much we have in the bank account. This is what the stocks look like. Oh, the stocks are going down. They're tracking it, right? This is, this is going back to life is that this is how life operates. You know, we have to understand currency. We live in a capitalistic world mm -hmm. and currency, uh, you know, monetary currency is important to know. So, so absolutely. Um, uh, I think it comes from us just talking about it all the time. The other thing I wanted to delve into, you said you, you told your children something nearly every day. You're a big believer in affirmations, right? Yes, big. What would be, because we've hopefully got lots of dads there that are just inspired at the moment, what would be your affirmations to someone on fatherhood? If you're there and you, you, you want some affirmations or things to think about or talk about as a father and reaffirm to yourself, what would, what would they be? You know, I think that's on an individual basis, but I do firmly believe in affirmations. And I, and I feel like what is important is for everyone, right, all the dads out here, to think about what areas do they want to grow and expand in and literally write the affirmations themselves. You know, with, with affirmations, I started them maybe five, six years ago. And I started just by Googling affirmations and I would just look at them and I would recite them. And then that moved to me starting to write my own affirmations. And then that moved to me, not only you know, reciting the affirmations, but then truly embodying them and then reflecting on them. So for example, one of them I'll say is, you know, wanna be a better leader you know, for my family, for my company, et cetera. I want to be a better leader, right? Now, what does that mean? Transparency, going back to your question transparency, you know, vulnerability, right? So that means I need to be more transparent. And then when you say those affirmations, it then lays on you, even subconsciously, it lays on you. And as you go about the day and you get interviewed and you get the dopest question in the world, where does the vulnerability come from? Sometimes that subconscious just pushes it out there. You know, you don't even know why, but because it came from, you know, those affirmations. So I think it's on an individual basis. The, the other thing real quick that has helped me as a dad too is yeah. in the evening before I go to bed, I reflect on the quote unquote failures, right? Like what are just one, two, three things that happened that, man, you know, I, I wish they didn't happen. You know what I mean? But yeah. then I yeah. say, well, what did I learn? What did I, what was the lesson from that? Because as long as you're pulling that lesson, it truly is not failure. You know, it's just another data point 
to tell you what direction to go into. So that helps me quite a bit too. Let's find out a little bit about the matchmaking. How did you get into that? I mean, you're a, a good looking, intelligent, suave individual. So I'm assuming you would walk into a room at, you know, uni or, you know, high school, is that what you call it? And the heads would turn and people would be like, who that? Who that? Who that over there? Is that what led you to be interested in relationships and then learn a lot about it and then impart it on other people? How did it start? All right. The, the origin, origin of it was, so even before matchmaking, I was in, in finance. That was really like, my father showed me that check. I really became focused to, to the point where I dropped all of my interest in the military and then I pursued finance. So I you know, went to college, uni, um, did investment banking. I started, then I got the best job in the world. I was managing money for a Turkish family that runs the largest educational holding company in Europe. Um, and I manage all of their investments outside of Turkey. And it was the best job in the world. And I was young doing it. And, you know, it was just, it was just great. But because I'm Jamaican and I always have like 10 jobs, you know what I mean? I also had a nonprofit organization right around the same time. So this is like 2007, 2008. And this nonprofit organization, what we did is we provided, we helped kids coming from low income households. We taught them math and science, reading, et cetera. Wow. And we had 100 kids. So this was the summer of 2008. We had 100 kids in our summer program and not one of these 100 kids had two parents in the household. Not one of them lived with mom and dad. And most of them only live with a, a, a woman. So they didn't even live with a man in the household. Um, it was auntie or grandma or mom. And so that was the moment that I started thinking about becoming a matchmaker because I thought about the power of the nuclear family and how two parents in the household, that changes a lot in terms of the lifestyle, the life of the child. So that, that's really where it began. It began in that, that summer camp. You've been married to Jill for what, 21 years now? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So this, this year, this is, and this is the terrible thing is, I posted something like last year, something like that. I posted like, we're married for 20 years. And Jill was like, you know, it's coming up on 20 years. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so it is, it is this, so this July 21st, it will be 20 years. Yeah. Let me write this down. July 21st, yeah, yeah. text your man. And actually July, July 20th, text your man, make sure, make sure he remembers what's going on. Exactly. Because that, that will mess your situation up real bad. Real bad. That's cool. So you've been together a long time. You've been through ups and downs. We all know that, and you, we've stated it earlier on in this conversation, that people sometimes aren't right for each other. Or sometimes people are going through some, some trials and tribulations. You've been through trials and tribulations and you had counselling together, yeah? Yes. But it, it, even before we got married as well. Oh, wow. Yes. Tell me about that. Yeah. Which, which I think is a game changer, you know? Uh, so, so we had premarital counselling as well. 
And the whole idea is uh, making sure that you two are on the same path. You know, you have the same vision. You want the same things. This is critical. You, this is critical because most times we love how they look. We love how they sound. We love what we think is the potential of that person. But it turns out that they want a different lifestyle than than, than us. You, you know, um, Nigel, a big question that I ask. So not trying to plug it, but I'll no, throw no, it out. No, go for it. No, please. I've been working on Married at First Sight in the UK. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen a couple of apps. Awesome, awesome. Last series was the most successful series of Married at First Sight in the world. Wow, because what pe people stayed together or? Yes, we matched four couples. Three of the couples are still together. And the first UK Married at First Sight baby is now on its way, right? Little girl is, is, is on her way. Yes, which is- Oh, that's incredible. So good. Now, one of the reasons why is because we changed the matching process because before it was all data and then they brought matchmakers in for us to do it. One of the key questions that I ask is called the dream day question. If you could go anywhere in the world with anyone, where would you go? Who would you bring? And what would you do? It's the dream question. Now, what I've found, it seems like such a simple question, but it's indicative of what we value, what we want in our life, who we love in our life, right? It's yeah. indicative of all of these things. And you will be completely blown away to see how different sometimes married couples even answer that question. Oh, right. So that will show the chasm of, whoa, hold on, we're not on the same page. Exactly. Because one person wants to party in Ibiza, right? And <laughs> the next person <laughs> wants a super chill, you know, yoga retreat in Morocco. It's like, really? <laughs> There's a problem here, you know? Wow. This is a difficult question. It's even difficult for me to phrase it. What advice would you give to parents listening who are struggling in their relationships since having kids? Because let's say it's all good and you know, you did the premarital counseling, you're in a good place. Then kids come along. Sometimes that can change the dynamic hugely. Yes. How do you get back to that place where you're both on the same page? Can you get back to that place? What key things can you give advice wise? I'm just trying to help people out there. Yeah, that's fair. And, and one is no, you absolutely can get back. I think that's important. Because if you don't have hope, you, you don't have anything, right? So it begins with knowing, okay, you can. I'll give three quick thoughts. First is, I think it's really important to monitor the content in our life. So I always say, you know, like, for example, if, you're, if they're listening to you, Nigel, that means that they're actually on the right track. And, and I'm not trying to gas you up or gas them up. On no, it, no. This, this is about empowerment. So the fact that they're already listening to something about empowerment means that even though you don't feel like you're in the right place, you're headed in the right direction. That's very important. So monitoring the content, those are the people in our life, family members, some of the most toxic people in our life, I'm telling you, are family and friends. You have to boot those folks out. So that's one. The second is to know that counseling and therapy and coaching is critical. This is something that in the United States, I think is, is good. Like we've been kind of ahead of the game on coaching and counseling and therapy. I feel like that wave is really getting stronger in the UK. So that's number two. And then number three is nothing in the world 
beats having time together, but in particular, showing each other love in our love language. And just real quick on that, you know, and, I, and actually, did you hear that too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, was that one of the little men? That's a little bit. Part of what I do too, also, just complete side note is, I, I don't close my door when I'm doing work or like interview, like I don't close it because I want them to be able to, okay, what, what does dad do? Okay, what, what does he talk about? Right? Right. Because I remember growing up, my dad would clo- had clo- had closed Close the door. The door. What is he doing in there? <laughs> what does he do? You know? Um, but then the the last thing is is the love language to know that there's um there's gifts, um, you know, acts of actually I won't even go through it, but the bottom line is, is Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. And it's critical because you may love someone, you may try to show them love, but unless you're showing them love in the language they understand, they don't feel loved and therefore they don't want to even deal with you. So knowing your partner's love language and showing it to them. Two is knowing that coaching, counseling, therapy is important for everyone, right? And then three, making sure that you monitor what's coming in and that it's only about empowerment. Yeah, definitely. It's funny you say that. You said at the start, if you're listening, you're in the right place already. I've been on Clubhouse the last couple of weeks. I don't know if you've heard about that new app where people are just in rooms talking and 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 trying to better themselves and meet different people who inspire them and things like that. And that came up. If you're in a room or a place wanting to listen to um, how to fix something or how to make it better, you're already halfway there. Yes, absolutely. You're already there. Listen, there's a question that we ask all of our dad vengers at the end of the sessions, right? And here it is for you. All right. If you could have one dad superpower, what would it be? To know precisely what my boys are thinking. Boom, straight in. Knows. I like that. I like that. To know what they're thinking. And what would be the benefit? I could become a better dad. I knew you were going to say that, but I just wanted, <laughs> I just wanted to spell it out for, for, for anyone listening who might not have grasped. If we, if we know what they're thinking, we can avert situations. We can help situations. There's so much we can do. Oh my God. We could change their lives. Like literally half of the, half of the, the challenge of parenting is just trying to understand what someone is truly thinking. And, you know, even, even as a child, you can't even articulate how you really feel. You know what I mean? And so to be able to know precisely, okay, this is what they're thinking. That could change your life. What a choice of superpower, because I got asked this question and I said that I'd love to be able to feel what my children feel, to be able to be empathetic and know what they're feeling so that I could do exactly what you, you said you wanted to do. Wow, that's a mind blow. So I, I bet you, if we were doing our Myers-Briggs, so then you're, you're, you're a feeler. You must be a feeler. Yeah, I can feel people, yeah. See, and I'm, I'm the thinker. I'm the T, you're the F. See, it makes sense. This Dude, makes sense. I feel like at some point in the future, we need to collaborate. Right. <laughs> See, and notice how you said that. You were like, I feel like at some point, I would say, I think at some point we should collaborate. See? <laughs> <laughs> we'll make it happen. We'll make it yeah. happen. Yeah, that would be cool. That w- really would be. Paul, thank you so much for giving your time, your mind, your openness, 
nothing but love for you. Keep doing what you're doing. Dude, okay. thank you very much. Much respect. Much respect. Love that man. What an inspiration to talk with him so openly about his life as a father. From trying for eight years to have kids by IVF to teaching his sons about money and its value to being vulnerable as a man and how powerful that can be. And I hope hearing a relationship coach that has had his fair share of relationship problems gives you some reassurance that we all go through our ups and downs. If you'd like to find out more about our Dadvengers community or you'd like to share anything with us, you can do so via the website, which is dadvengers.com. Or if you'd like to contact us via our Instagram or Facebook channels, you can do that too. Thank you very much for listening. This has been the Dadvengers podcast sponsored by Connects, encouraging kids of all ages to think outside the blocks. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.